Hey everybody, this is Eric Mueller, the host of The Eric Mueller Show. You're tuned in to the podcast that explores what makes any successful person's inner clock tick by unlocking the most impactful tools within their success portfolio. We all know that the stock market is an emotional roller coaster, and oftentimes the difference between making a profit or taking a loss comes down to your ability to make logical and fast decisions, oftentimes based on constantly changing data. How can we control our emotions and make smart decisions when the stakes are high? Enter Anmol Singh, the founder of Live Traders. Let's head on over to the interview. Anmol, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting with you. Looking forward to, man. Yeah, I think, but before we dive deep into this entrepreneurial story of yours and really your expertise in stock trading and investing in the market, we want to know what makes up your success portfolio. So if you're new to the show, a quick background on this, a way to look at it. It's perfect that we got a finance guy in here. Look at it like an investment portfolio, that compilation of investments that builds that you know, foundation for your financial goals in life. Well, here on the Eric Mueller Show, I really want to discover how successful people like Anmol invest in themselves, and build that foundation for success long-term. So Anmal, start us off. What are three skills, traits, habits, or mindsets that make up your core success portfolio? I think one of them is extreme dedication and extreme focus. So it's uh, when I do something, I, I only focus on that. Like It might not be the best thing when it comes to relationships, but you know, when it comes to business and work, like I try to just stick to one thing and you know, exhaust all options before I move on to another thing. Like that's number one. Uh, number two is a similar form of that is persistence is like not giving up until I've exhausted every resource or every person I could connect to, every mentor I could meet. Like unless I've exhausted all resources, I never pass on an idea until I've seen it through. Um, and then uh, step three is going to be learning from past mistakes and past failures. You know, learning from all of that, seeing what I could do better. And then the next one, I do that. If I still make a mistake, learn from that and I keep doing it and I never quit. So I think that's what those are the three things and three characteristics that have got me where I am. Yeah, I, I personally love all of those. And I think first and foremost, I'll say that that focusing on one thing is is not necessarily a strength of mine. I tend to spread myself thin. I have a lot of different interests. And I think may, maybe you could shed some light on if we have a person listening that feels similar to me. Do you think, is there a way that that we can help them maybe find their way or if they can find out hey, they're working on three different things and they're not certain which one might be the thing they want to really dive deep into. Are there any strategies that you have found successful in, in your own you know, personal journey when you got into training, trading and finally realized, hey, this is what I definitely want to do? Yeah, and I think first of all, all of us, especially you know, us, us men, we have all these ideas coming over. We have all these things we want to do. We want to try that and we want to try this. So it's pretty normal and I feel the same way. It's just like kind of learning how to tame yourself down, calm down, let's focus, let's settle in. And the way you do that is by scheduling it. So if you have three things you're working on, schedule time equally for all three of those things. And then if it's like, let's say 4 to 6 p.m., I'm working on this, then you're only working on that. You're not thinking about this idea. You're not thinking about that idea. You're not thinking about managing this or checking your email. That two hours is just this one idea, right? Then you give the other idea another block of time, whatever it takes. So give equal time to each task, but then that time is only for that specific task. That's number one. And as you keep doing it, you'll see, you know what? Maybe this idea is getting me more money, more results. This one's not so much. Okay, let's cut the four-hour time block to one hour for this one. 
let's give the additional two hours to this idea, right? So then you kind of want to manage your uh, portfolio that way. But ideally, I think I don't I think people should have not more than three things they're doing at any given time, because then you're gonna not give your best. You're gonna give twenty percent to each of those rather than giving hundred percent to like top two or three ideas. Yeah, I think that's really helpful advice. And and to echo your other two points with persistence and learning from failure, those are probably also things you'll find in doing those those different, you know, projects or side, you know, passions initially. You'll find out which ones are maybe, maybe fulfilling you a little bit more or which ones you're learning a lot more from the failure and becoming better at. And this this leads me into kind of the the follow-up question of the success portfolio. And that is really Anmal, what do you believe success to be? If you were to define that word. You know, how does, how does Anmal know at the end of the day he's been successful or at the end of your life that you've been successful? Yeah, I mean, great question. I wrote a book on this, uh, Prepping for Success. So in that, I talk about how success could obviously mean different things to different people, right? And it's definitely not monetary. That's one thing. In the beginning, early in my career, I related success to money. If I had money, I'm successful. If I don't have money, I'm not successful. But my definition of success has evolved and changed over time. So now my definition of success is being, you know, paying full attention to all areas of your life, right? Health, wealth, love, and happiness, and then creating harmony in those areas, right? Not trying to balance it, but focusing your attention on all of each of those areas because that's a successful life. Because you could have all the money in the world, but if your relationships are a mess, are you really successful? Probably not. Right. And now let's say you are, you know, extremely successful when it comes to business and money. Your relationships are great, but your health is a mess. Is that really successful? Probably not. So, without one thing, you can never truly be successful. So, true success is creating harmony in all areas of your life. And then, more importantly, enjoying that journey as you get better in those areas and being okay with where you're at in each of those areas. I think that is true success. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a great way to look at that too. And, and I'll ask you when you started your, really your journey as a trader and maybe that entry into entrepreneurship, you were, you know, as young as 22 when you started doing that. What, uh, what, what challenges did you find with relationships, if any, as far as, you know, the beginning of an entrepreneurial journey? Because you mentioned, you know, the balancing of things like that is sometimes not possible or not, you know, it's not the easiest thing to, if you have all these, you know, ideas or if you're doing multiple things and time blocking those it might be difficult to keep up on your health or relationship. So did, did you have any personal uh, you know, story or struggle with a relationship in particular in that case? 100%. Like, I mean, I didn't date or you know, do any of that stuff in my early, like from 18 to like early 20s, because my, I had only one track goal. As I talked earlier when we were talking off topic, I'm very extreme when I do one thing, I can only focus on that one thing. So my goal is to do one thing extremely well, get yourself to a level that now you have the time that you can devote to other areas. Right, because once I, th- I personally believe that when you're financially successful and you have the resources, now you can kind of take a little step back and start devoting er- uh, time to other areas, and you can also spend money, right, to hire coaches, mentors in other areas of your life to improve those areas. Once you have financial stability, so my early on, I set a goal. Okay, first thing, financial stability. Once I get that. Now I can get a chef to make me my meals. I can get a trainer to help me work out with me every day. You know, I could do all those things with the money. So I think, uh, but in the early on, it's definitely a challenge. You know, like I, I wasn't, uh, I was a pretty big introvert. I only focused on my business and my work. Didn't really, you know, date a lot or do any of that stuff. It was just let, get myself successful. And it did mess up my health, 100%. You know, I, in, in college, I used to be like, you know, six-pack abs, boxing, to, you know, doing all those things. I was an amateur boxer. Did all of that, but when I set a business goal, I kind of ruined all of that. Now, I didn't need to, but that's just my extreme personality, right? I want to focus on one thing. 
and the health kind of got messed up. So now I'm at a stage of my life where I'm using the resources and the money that I have to help better my life, right? To hire mentors in other areas to improve those other areas. And now I can create the harmony uh, because of financial stability. But I personally believe financial stability has to come first. Yeah. And I think that's probably, that probably rings true to, to those listening right now is they, they probably feel in some way that they haven't reached that point yet. I certainly don't feel like I've reached, you know, financial freedom yet. And so there's still goals in that way. But it, it sometimes makes me think, oh, if I, if I had X amount of dollars, like then I could do this. But to, to counterpoint that, do you think that, you know, if you wait to start something until you have, you know, X amount of dollars, or if you want to start a business and you, you don't want to get a loan, you want to bootstrap it, do you think someone can, you know, do harm to themselves by waiting too long? Like if you wouldn't have started the trading and, and done that at that age, you know, who knows where, where it might be now? Maybe live traders would not be what it is today. Yeah, 100%. And I think uh, that came from the aspect of, hey, let's just get started. And that's one of the biggest thing I think what you're alluding to as well is that people wait too long to get started. They start analyzing. They start creating this massive business plan. I'm like, let's just take step by step, right? Let's not look at this massive goal of financial freedom and you know over, get overwhelmed by it. But now let's break it down into, okay, what are the 10 things I need to do to get closer, to move the needle a little, a little bit? Your only goal every day is not to reach your goal. You're never going to reach your goal because the goal is an ever-moving target, right? Your own goal is to move the needle a little bit in your favor every single day. If you do that, at the end of the year, your needle's all the way down to where you want it to be. So I think you have to chunk it down into a lot of smaller goals and just focus on that. Don't look at, I want to make at a million dollars. Look at, okay, what do I need to make next 10000 right now? What do I need to do to make next $1,000 right now? And once you get there, start creating levels for yourself. And that's how I, I was taught as a trader. I was trading for this firm in New York City where I would trade their money. They would give me $10 million of their money. I would trade them and they would take 30% of everything that I made. But they gave me targets. They didn't hire me as a new trader and said, here you go, here's your $10 million. They said, okay, we're going to give you 50000 Prove yourself. Hit, make $300 two weeks in a row. Once I made that, they're like, okay, now we're going to give you $75,000. Make $500 two weeks in a row. I did that. Then, okay, now we're going to give you 100000 So they stair-stepped my way, me up all the way to financial stability. I think that's the same thing people need to do in their own lives is stair-step your way up rather than just look into, you know, vertical jump up because that rarely happens unless, you know, you're a athlete or a musician or, you know, some tech entrepreneur. Their rocket ship is never going to happen. You got to stair-step your way up. Yeah, and let's let's talk a little bit about you know live traders and and how that journey started for you. So you grew up in India, you went to college, and at that point you started to get interested in investing in trading. At what point did you really want to go to you know you mentioned working in New York City and trading other people's money and working you know a job per se? At what point did you realize you wanted to branch out and and take that entrepreneurial path and create something of your own to teach people with your, you know yourself and your other co-founder how to invest, how to trade, how to be profitable? Where did that idea really start or, or had that always been something kind of in the back of your mind? You mentioned in your bio that you always felt like you were destined for something great. Do you think live traders is that or did you think maybe something else initially? I think I've not even touched close to my potential, but I get that's just the mindset. You're never going to get there. And that's one of the things they talk about in the book too. Success is not a destination. It's just the journey. And you know, and humans are very adaptable. So when you hit a target, you're like, okay, this is the next target. So it's a never-ending journey in that way. But uh, I kind of knew always that I'm going to be successful. Maybe it's just a belief that I had, but it, I always knew I'm going to do something that's going to be successful. And I always thought about that since childhood. But when it comes to trading, 
That was not even an idea of mine. I used to be horrible at math in high school. Anything to do with numbers, like don't even bring close to me, right? So I never thought trading is going to be a career that I'm going to be successful at until when I was 18 years old, got to college in London. I moved from India to London to study. And when I got there, I had a group of friends in my dorm. They were talking about like, you know, Jim Cramer or some investing stuff. And I was very curious because I think every guy at some level is curious. Like, why does the stock market move that way? You know, what caused the stock to go up or down? So for me, I was curious. And then um, I was looking around in my university on what things we could do. So we noticed that there's a you know, soccer, football society. There is an entrepreneurship society. And any interest that you had, there was a society for it in college. There's no, no such thing as trading or investing society. So a bunch of us guys, we teamed up. We're like, hey, none of us know anything about trading investing, but let's just start something, meet once a week, talk about a book we read on investing, and let's just build our skills. And we started meeting once a week, you know, every week. And the group grew from three people to 20 to 30, 40, 50 people. And the best part is, it's 2023 now. The group is still running in the college, live and active. And we started that uh, back in and back in the university days. That's where my initial interest started. Uh, and I just started reading a lot of books, uh, taking a lot of courses, seminars. I saved up some money, borrowed some from my dad, opened a trading account, bought my first stock, lost half of it, like half my money pretty quickly. And then I realized that, you know, pushing the button doesn't make you a trader. That's a learning curve. You got to learn. And that's when I found my co-founder now, who's my business partner. He was my mentor. I found him doing an online webinars thing. I attended that thing. And I was like, this guy looks honest. Because a lot of people were hyping up how much they make in the stock market. And this guy was talking about how much I lost. I was like, that's refreshing. So he taught me, took me under his wing, started trading for him and then you know kind of rest was history and that was my foray into the prop firm world where I started trading the company's money and then that company got bought out in 2015 so I had an option do I join the new company or do I maybe now that I'm financially stable I don't need to give them half my money you know I can trade with my own money that's when I decided to quit I contacted my mentor I said why don't we start something like live traders you know we trade live in front of everybody that's going to be a new concept let's do that he's like you know what let's do it and then that was kind of the story of like how Live Traders was born. Yeah, I really like that story of just jumping in and doing it, seeing, identifying like that initial problem of there isn't a group that addresses this at, at the university. Let's start it. Even though we don't know anything, it kind of comes from that point of, of honesty and, and transparency that you're, you're not claiming to be an expert at this point, but let's just all learn together. I think that's a really good lesson for anyone listening. If, if you're interested in something and you find that there's not something out there for you, why not create it? Why not start it like Anmal did? And it, it really kind of brings me into the next point with the trading specifically. So if you Google just, you know, what percentage of traders lose money, you'll, you'll see a figure, probably 90% or something like that. Is, is that actually true, Enmal? And if it is true, what can we do to become part of the 10% that maybe doesn't lose money as a whole? Not you're going to have losses every once in a while, but, but as a whole. Yeah, so I think that statistic is both true and false. So meaning true in the sense that 90% people lose money right? But not 90% of traders. There's a difference because the statistic was, research was conducted by brokerage firms, right? They basically audit everybody who had a brokerage account and say, okay, 90% people lost money, 10% made money. But we all know if you have a brokerage account, if my mom has a brokerage account, she's not a trader, right? She just has a brokerage account that lost money. So that research counted everybody who had an account, pressed the buy or sell, uh, buy or sell button even once, that was counted as a trader. But that's not what a professional trader is. Professional trader is somebody who's gone through learnings. They've gone through back testing their strategy. They have spreadsheets and models of everything that they've done. That's what a professional trader really is. He has a risk management strategies. So if they actually audited how many professional traders lose money, 
the number is not even anything close to 90%, right? But yeah, 90% people lose money because they think they're traders by reading a Reddit post, buying GME, and now I'm a trader, or buying AMC or Dogecoin, now I'm a trader. But we all know that's not what a trader is. That's just gambling. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where the statistic come from. Now, to be a part of the 10%, you need to trade like a professional, which means having spreadsheets, having models, testing that model of the last 20, 30 years, see how that would have done. Right. And you have you you know your statistics. You're like kind of like the casino, right? If you go to a casino, casino has a zero point some percent edge on most of the games. So they only need you to keep playing. It doesn't matter if they lose a big round. As long as you keep playing in a long enough time frame, they're gonna make money because of that little probability and statistical edge. Same thing with trading. We're only trying to get the statistics in our favor that if I know, if I take 10 trades, okay, and let's say I'm gonna lose on five of them and I'm gonna win on five of them, right? So I'm losing five, I'm winning five. But if my winner is twice the size of my average loser, then I could lose half my trades and still make money. That's the professional, how we get our edge in our favor. And I might lose sometimes five, six even out of 10 trades, but the ones that I'm winning on are going to make two or three times my average loser. So I keep my losses small, keep my winners big. So you don't need to win. Uh, you know, you could win half the time and still make money. Yeah, I think that that casino analogy, I think, really does make sense, at least for me, too. I, I sometimes think of sports betting, too, and the the sharps, per se, are the professional sports bettors. The best ones ever, you know, probably still are maybe not even quite at 50% of their wins. But over time, they're profitable. So it's kind of a similar you know, way to think about it. You don't have to win 90% of the time to be profitable. And something I thought of now, too, is is what, in your opinion, what do you think the biggest mistake is that that someone makes with with either trading or investing, how, how can they maybe combat that? And do you think this mistake is is possible for someone that's even been in it for a long time? So maybe 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 a mistake that like a novice might make, or one that someone that's even an experienced trader might make. And and I'd be interested to hear if there is a difference and and what that uh, you know strategy to avoid it might be. Yeah, I think uh, all both experienced and novice traders, the biggest mistake people make is trading on emotion, right? Like the with emotion, you cannot back test your emotion. You cannot test your emotion to see what the statistical probability of your gut feel is, right? It doesn't work like that. So a lot of people, what they do is if the strategy says, okay, if the stock goes down by X amount, take a small loss and walk away, right? But some people will keep holding. Maybe it'll come back up. I think it'll come back up. That's what people are doing with crypto right now, right? 90% down most of these cryptocurrencies, but they'll it'll come back up one day. It might. But isn't that hope? And hope is not a strategy. So a lot of people trade on hope and emotion, which is not a strategy. And you have to be able to follow your rules. It's a very disciplined game. Trading is literally all about discipline and psychology. Uh, you have to be okay with exiting trades when you need to be exiting. Sometimes a trade they might get into has a target. If the stock goes up X amount, I'll take my profit. And then it goes up and then they become greedy. Maybe it'll go higher. Maybe I'll keep holding on. Now you just ruined all, all of the things you tested in a statistical probability model. And now you're just using your gut feel. So that's the biggest mistake people make. And newer traders make it a lot. You know, it hurts newer traders a lot more than experienced traders because experienced traders, if you're trading for any length of time, you do have a little element of gut feel. But that's because your brain has you know, put together patterns you've seen over the last few years you've seen, and that's how your gut feel is coming from. But a newer trader, you don't have a gut feel. Give me a break, right? Newer traders don't have a gut feel because what are you basing it on? Oh, I just think it's going to go up. Why? I just think it. Well, your thinking has no basis in reality. So I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people need to avoid. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning of the episode, just how can we control those emotions? Because I think, at least in my personal experience, that is what has led to maybe the biggest mistakes in just my personal portfolio is thinking, 
just on that gut feel of with no real basis of, oh, I, you know, I just feel like Bitcoin's going to go up or I think Ethereum, I think it's, I think it's ready to moon. Like, it's just, it's like, where do you get that? I think it just comes from a, a sense of you're, you're just obviously hoping and you're, you have like a personal tie to your own investments. So it's hard yeah. to remove yourself from that a little bit. Yeah, people are drinking the hopium, you know, as you say. <laughs> the hopium, the hopium man. And they're just holding it. Uh, why? Because somebody tweeted it's going to go up. Or I read something on Reddit. It said it's going to go up. I'm like, how many people have read that, <laughs> right? There's, everybody knows about it. So what's the edge you really have? Like, you always want to think about being a casino. That's the best analogy I can give you. Anytime you feel like you want to do something, okay, what is my edge? Ask yourself that question. What is the statistical edge on that? Do I have an edge or is it a tweet or article that everybody could read online? If everybody could read it, there's no edge in that. So markets are efficient. They factor in all the news already. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's kind of like that, that the buzz, you know, around the, the social media is probably not the place you want to go necessarily for your, your investing or trading information all the time. You might be able to find out, you know, certain aspects of if there's positive, you know, sentiment around a certain company or that you, you could be a little bit you know, kind of use that as a part of your, your toolkit maybe. But, but really, Anmal, what do you think of, of fundamental and technical analyses for evaluating stocks? Is that kind of a core part of what you do at Live Traders? Or with, you know, without giving up too much of, of, your, of your company's uh, product and service, what might you offer on, on those two aspects of, of looking at a particular stock or security? Yeah. So in, in trading investing, there's two types of analysis. One of them is technical analysis. The other is fundamental analysis. Now, Technical analysis is more used by traders, right? That are in and out of stocks. They're not just holding on forever. Whereas fundamental analysis is going to be used by investors that are investing in the company for the long haul. And they might not ever sell the company or they might hold it for several years. Now, the difference is in fundamental analysis, you're looking at the company, right? What's the management like? What's the CEO like? What's the product like? You know, what's the balance sheet look like? What's the business model? You're looking at all those things, which I personally don't look at a lot of those things, right? For me, I do technical analysis which is just looking at the chart of the stock, looking at the prior history of what the price has done, how it, the stock moves and reacts to things, what are the levels that it keeps, seems to hold. Uh, and then we look for technical patterns that we've tested over time that have a certain statistical edge. And then all we're looking for is those patterns to form on the chart in order to take the trade. It's all very statistical based. Whereas fundamental analysis is a little bit subjective, you know, because uh, you could have a great company, you could still go down, right? And you could have a horrible company, the stock could still go up. So that's why I don't really believe too much in fundamental analysis. Uh, I only, when it comes to fundamental analysis or investing long-term, I only ask myself a few questions, which is, A, is the stock going to be, you know, is the company going to be more relevant or less relevant in the next five years, right? And, or a second question I would ask myself is, are more people going to be using this product or service in the next five years or less? If I get answered yes to those two questions, I'm probably going to make that investment, right? So I learned this very simple thing from, I chatted to this person in Sequoia Capital, which is the biggest venture capital firm out there. I had lunch with this guy and he's, I asked him, I'm like, how do you make your decisions? He's like, two questions. Is the company going to be more relevant or less relevant in the five years? More people going to be using it or less people going to be using it? He's like, just those two questions. And that, that's a multi-billion dollar fund that uses just those two questions. And now looking back, Think about it. Let's say five years ago, if you ask yourself the question, are more people going to be using Tesla or less? Well, the answer is yes, more. Is it going to be more relevant or less relevant? Well, more relevant. You could have bought the Tesla stock five years ago, right? You could have used the same thinking on Amazon. You could have used the same thinking on 
a lot of these companies to make those investments, which you would have done tremendously well on. So that's fundamental analysis. Technical analysis has more of a learning curve, though. So that's where some people have to learn the chart patterns and things of that nature. Yeah, and I, I would imagine that that has, like you mentioned, you know, a, a more significant bearing on on the day trading or the stocks where you're in and out in a shorter period of time. Being able to find those patterns on on the charts and identify that. Do you think that that has? I, I guess if, if someone's got a thousand dollars or just insert X amount of dollars, what would you say would be maybe their best entry point into really finance as far as investing or trading? Do you think they should do one or the other? Should they invest for the long term? Should they try? options? Should they do something, you know, where they join live traders and try to, you know, kind of learn in that way to, to be more short on, on certain securities? Is there, is there an advice that you would give someone like that? Or is it, it's kind of a broad question, but I'm just thinking of someone listening, thinking, Hey, I want to jump in. I don't have a ton of money. What should I do? Yeah. So I would say if somebody already has a, right now, let's say a nine to five job or you have a business then you probably cannot really do short-term trading, right? Day trading in and out. Cause for day trading, you have to be in front of your computer at least from nine o'clock till at least 12 noon, right? You got to be on your computer for that time. So if you have a job or a business, day trading is not for you. But however, what you should be doing is investing in the stock market, right? Even if it's not picking individual stocks, even if it's just, hey, let's just put the money you know, on the NASDAQ or the S&P 500 ETF and just slowly add every month, right? I personally suggest, not recommend because I'm not a financial advisor, but what I suggest people to do is take 10% off what you're making every month from your salary, income, whatever. And just don't even look at it. Set it up automatically on your platform. So every month, a little bit goes automatically, gets invested. If you did that, you would have more than doubled your money over the last you know, 10 years or so, even less than that. So if people keep doing that and you know adding to their account every single month, that's a long-term recipe for success. So that's something that everybody should be doing. Now, if you're somebody who has more time, you don't have a job right now, you retired or you you know just left your job, you have savings. Now you have the time to day trade. Okay, great. Now you can look for day trading and you know look for swing trading. Uh, then there's another style, which is in between day trading and investing. So day trading is short term, in and out every day. Investments is you're just adding every month, holding it forever pretty much. And then there's a middle ground called swing trading where we're holding stocks for maybe just a few days, maybe a few weeks. So we're not in and out the same day. We might buy it today, get out next week. So that doesn't take a lot of time, maybe five minutes a day, you know, at best. And a lot of the things you can do on your phone these days by placing orders. So swing trading, I think everybody should be doing. Like uh, even if you have a job, even if you have a business, because again, it takes five minutes, you know, a week or so to do that. So that's something everybody should be doing. Uh, and that's a great way to capitalize on the short-term swings that we see on those stocks. Yeah. And I think that that consistent investment in like an index fund or, or putting something you know, just kind of set it and forget it, so to speak. I do that personally with the with the S and P five hundred with just Spy, you know, and I also have a section that goes off into savings. So just every month, it is kind of an automatic thing. But I'm wondering if if someone is is wanting to invest in individual companies, should they be creating a watch list? Should they be doing something where they can kind of find out, you know, whether they want to go the fundamental approach or the technical approach to figure out which companies they like and jump in at the at the appropriate time? How would you recommend they might? you know, construct that watch list if that is something you'd recommend in general? Yeah. So I would say two types of people again, like if you're somebody who is okay and you want to learn, you have some time, you want to learn how you know these things work, technical analysis works, then great. If you have time to learn that, then that's the route I would recommend because technicals always give you an edge. It'll get you in before a lot of people are getting in. It'll get you out before people start to get out. So that is what I would recommend. Now, if you're somebody, as I said, you already have a job, you don't want to do too much thinking. You don't want to pick individual stocks. Don't even consider picking stocks. Just 
put it in the market, S&P 500, NASDAQ, automatically. That's if you don't want to look at it, you're too busy, just do that. If you're somebody who wants to pick individual stocks, then first run them through the filter, the two questions that we mentioned earlier, run them through that filter, and then you make a list of all those stocks that have already gone through those two questions filter. Now you add technicals on top of that to get the right entry. Because you might have the right stock, but if you bought Tesla at 500, even though it's a great company, fundamentally, you could have been down on it right now. It's at 200 and something dollars, right? Great company, but you're still down on it. That's where technicals come in. You pick the right company and then you pick the right spot to buy it at so that you're not you know, uh, hanging on the way down. So if you use that thinking, technicals and fundamentals combined, you could have bought Tesla you know, last year for like $100, right? And now you've already doubled your money. So I think that's how I would personally look at it is combining those two things. Fundamental, I call it technical and fundamental. So you combine it, technicals, fundamentals to find the great companies, technicals to find the right time to get into those. Yeah, that's really sound advice. I actually hadn't thought of it in that way before to, to do that, to find the companies. And then, you know, yeah, like you just mentioned with Tesla, you could find a great company, but you may have gotten in at the wrong time and now you're still down. And that's something yeah. I think that, that people should re- remember that it doesn't necessarily mean you bad, made a bad choice as far as picking the company. You just made a, a poor choice as far as your entry point. I do want to switch yeah. gears here one more time. Just go back to talking about live traders specifically as, as a business and, and as yourself as an entrepreneur. If, if someone's listening and they want to pursue founding of a new company, I think a fair amount of the listeners do have that passion in some way that it, it could be on the radar. Maybe they've started something small or they've started to build their skill set and they haven't created the business yet. But what would you advise someone that wants to pursue the founding of a new company? Is there anything you found that you know, was a setback early on that you now could go back and realize, oh, I maybe could have had the foresight on that? Or, you know, anything that you just share broadly that would help someone that wants to kind of take the dive into entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think, and regardless of any business you're doing, the first question you need to ask is, how am I adding value to my customers, right? How am I adding value to my clients? What's That's the first thing, right? What am I doing specifically that's adding value or helping better their life or giving them the product or result that they're looking for? That's step number one. Once you've figured that part out, okay, this is how I'm adding value. Now you ask yourself the question, what do I need to do to deliver on my promise of adding value to those customers, right? Then that could mean who do I need to get in touch with? Who do I need to collaborate with? Who do I need to reach out to? Who can I reach out to who's already doing that, right? There's always somebody doing something similar. So always find who's already doing what you want to do, right? And then, hey, get close to them, whether it be pay them, whether it be taken out for lunch, uh, or even if it's just hiring them as a coach or whatever, but you know, get get that doing, uh, get that going because a lot of time people try to do themselves, and I did that the same thing. Tried to trade on myself, it didn't work. And I said, hey, this guy's already doing what I want to do. Asked him, hey, how much are you going to charge to coach me? Right, and I paid him. I paid him a good amount of money at that time to learn. But that helped me shorten my learning curve, so I don't have to make those same mistakes that he's already made. So I think that's the step number two. And then uh, once you've done that, once you identified your value, once you've identified who you're going to be in your network to help you achieve those goals, now the step number three, that's your biggest thing that you'll need to do is figure out your marketing strategy, right? Any business you need marketing in. Uh, and for us, live traders, the name itself was branding because nobody was trading live. Everybody was selling courses or selling, hey, join my alert service or my newsletter. We're like, hey, we're going to live stream our account. Win or lose, you're going to get to see it in real time, right? So it's the closest thing you can get sitting next to a professional trader. So that's how we differentiated ourselves from all the other people who are doing, doing trading stuff because nobody was willing to trade live in front of people. So differentiating factor, right, or the USP as they call it. Those are the three biggest things that people need to identify. And then four, really ask yourself the question, Are you? do you really believe that you're the right person 
to deliver on this. Because sometimes inherently we have our own limiting beliefs. I don't know if I can do it. You know, I don't know if I'm the right person. If you have those beliefs, you're not going to do it. So get yourself to believe in yourself and say, okay, am I the right person? Yes, I am. And here's how I'm going to do it. So having that uh, self-belief and self-confidence is really important. I love that, man. I feel fired up after hearing that. I think that's a I think that's a really good way to kind of kind of tie a bow on this interview. And I want to give you the opportunity as well and Mal to share what the best way to be, you know, get in contact with you. If someone wants to reach out, learn more, possibly get involved with live traders, how would they best do that? Yes. If you're looking to learn how to trade, uh, you could go to livetradersguide.com where you could download our free guide for trading, as well as a video course that I recorded called Trading with an Edge. We talked about Edge this interview, how to get the edge. So we talk about that in that video course, completely free, livetradersguide.com. And if you want to connect with me, uh, Twitter and Instagram is usually the best place to do that. Uh, my handle on both of those is Delta90, D-E-L-T-A-N-I-N-E-T-Y. Had the username really long time ago. Then after verification and stuff, they wouldn't let me change it. So uh, I just have to keep it the same, but that's where you can find me. Hey, that sounds great, man. Yeah, we'll tag all that in the show notes. And these episodes always get shared on social media. So we'll tag Delta90 on there across all the platforms. And Anmal Singh, really can't thank you enough for your time, sharing the valuable insights. I think really I'm taking away a lot from this on both the investing and the trading and the entrepreneurship side. So I feel the listeners will feel the same way. And yeah, we'll look forward to following your journey and, and be in touch with you soon. Thanks for having me. Great having you.